Hey, good to see everybody here. We're going to get back to our Foundations class. Tonight we'll be studying Isaiah. Isaiah has a whole lot to study in one night. <clears throat> so what I want to do, just so you kind of know what the, what's the goal of something like this. So the goal is that between now and uh, what time we get out of here? 7, 7.30, okay. Why was uh, Rick telling me 7.15? He was telling me to quit at 7.15. I don't know why he was saying that. <clears throat> so we may or may not do that. What I want to do is, um, is have you walk out with a basic grasp, just a basic feel of what is the book of Isaiah about. There's no way for us to actually know it in detail, to go through in, in each chapter upon chapter, but to walk out and say, okay, I've got a grasp on, in a simple way, <clears throat> what this book is about how it points to Christ and some of the lessons we can learn from Isaiah. So that's my intent tonight as we go through the book of Isaiah. Let me start, uh, let, me, let me pray, and then we'll get started. <clears throat> Father, it's been a busy week for a lot of us here. It's been a really busy day. feels good to sit down feels good to be here among brothers and sisters in Christ. We can be ourselves. Thank you for the community of believers. Thank you for the church. Thank you for friends that are brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we love your word and we thank you for it. And we hope that tonight that we can grow. God, we ask you to help us to grow, to be strengthened, to be healed, to to be made more confident in the world we live in. So we ask you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's get started. You got an outline there, and I'll do my best to go uh, along with the outline. Let's start with big words, major prophets. Uh, there are several of them. The major prophets, along with Isaiah, or Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel are the major prophets, and the only reason they're called major prophets are that they're bigger. That's it. There's nothing else major about them other than that there's more material. That's why you call them major prophets. The minor prophets are what? Yeah, see how smart you are? Smaller, right. So the minor prophets are smaller. Major prophets are bigger. Okay, get a little further. Isaiah, in the middle of the Bible, it is 66 chapters long. It's hard to preach through. I've been here 14 years. I've not ever preached through Isaiah. Because really, just three sections of Isaiah, uh, before I get to the chapter section, you, you have poetry, and you have oracles, and you have prophecy. When you read Isaiah, there's poetry. It's very poetic. And there are oracles, these statements, and then there's prophecy looking, looking forward. If you want a basic outline of Isaiah, if you're going to break it down, it's 66 chapters. What is the basic outline? So chapter 1 through chapter 35. 1 through 35 is prophecy and poetry about God and Him expressing Himself to His people. So 1 through 35, you read it, it's one long. <clears throat> the Lord expressing Himself to His people through poetry and prophecy. Chapter 36 through 39, it's a very small section. This is a third part from chapter 36, 37, 38, 39. So it's four chapters, and it is 
a historical parenthesis. When you read it, it's not prophecy. The, the, the author has stopped and now has given you some context. This is what is going on in history. So when you read that historical event, it's the siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrians. Siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrians. And then picks back up in chapter 40, from chapter 40 to 46, uh, 40 to 66, I'm sorry, is more prophecy and poetry. So 1 through 35, prophecy and poetry. 36, 39, history. 40 to 66, more prophecy. Or you can put it like this if you want to have it in halves. Uh, the first half of Isaiah from chapter 1 to, verse, to chapter 35 is uh, it's, it's, it's pretty negative feeling. Like if you're depressed, don't go to chapters 1 through 35 because it is smash mouth judgment all the way through. It's doom and gloom. And then chapter 40 picks up after the historical from 36 to 39 is history. Chapter 40 picks up and from chapter 40 to chapter 66 is uh, much more, gives much more reason for hope. It's where we find the suffering servants, where we go to Isaiah 53, it's where we have Isaiah 40. It's much more hopeful from, from verse, from chapter 40 to chapter 66. Okay, so this book is written to the people of Judah. Judah and Israel split. It is written to Judah. Oftentimes we'll talk about the people of Israel. They are the people of Israel, but the people of Israel split. So then you have Israel and Judah. This is written to the people of Israel that are in Judah. Some interesting things about uh, the book of Isaiah. I'm sorry I got this suit on, by the way. I had a funeral I had to go to today. And I thought, well, I need to wear a dark suit. And uh, uh, there's, there's more man than there is suit. And it's very tight. Uh, so I'm thinking about taking my coat off. I don't know what's happened. It's the wintertime. I don't know, Danny, what's going on. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, there are a couple of really interesting things in the book of Isaiah. Uh, in Isaiah, you find scriptural evidence of Satan falling. You wonder where does the fall of Satan, where, when we talk about Satan falling from heaven, where does that come from? That comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14, I'll show you some of that. <clears throat> Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 17. This is how it reads. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll make myself like the Most High, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you, They'll ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? I'll, I'll pause there. So if you wonder where does sort of the doctrine of Satan falling from heaven that's where it comes from. It's an unusual thing to find in the book of, of Isaiah. Isaiah was an unusual prophet. When you get to Isaiah chapter 20, Isaiah chapter 20, 
you find Isaiah being commanded by the Lord to go naked and barefoot and preach like that for three years. Three years. Naked, barefoot. Buck naked. Y'all, do y'all know buck naked? Do you understand what that is? Yeah. Do y'all, do y'all remember Jerry Clower? Yeah. He said that buck naked, you can, you can be naked with your socks on. Buck naked is completely naked. So Isaiah completely, you can find it in Isaiah chapter 20. Let me show it to you. Isaiah chapter 20. In the year that the commander-in-chief who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod, fought against it and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist, take off your sandals from your feet. He did so walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said to my servant Isaiah, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years, as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush. So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. You can keep reading. It's, it's unusual. You think about Isaiah. So you have the fall of Satan in Isaiah. Isaiah 14, you have this strange scene with Isaiah preaching three years, naked and barefoot. Let's put it in its historical context. Where does it fit in the timeline of history? As you think about the people of Israel, the establishment of, of God's kingdom, David on the throne, Solomon on the throne, what ha- where does it fit? Around the year 760 to 700 B.C. We know that from Isaiah chapter 1. So if you want a timeline or a date, it's from about 760 to 700 B.C. So when you read it in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 1, you find out that Isaiah served as a preacher, as a prophet, during five kingdoms. I'm just read it to you. Isaiah uh, chapter 1 is the introduction. Five different kings reigned in the southern kingdom of Judah. It starts out like this. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So that's how we know it's in Judah. And this is how we know the dates. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and Manasseh is going to be in there as well. So where does it begin? So you have this weird introduction in Isaiah chapter 1. tells us kind of historically where to place it. We don't actually meet the beginning of Isaiah's ministry until later on. Anybody guess what chapter that is? Somebody said it, yeah. It's the most famous chapter besides the Messianic chapters. It's Isaiah chapter 6. That's where we see his actual uh, call to ministry. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6 and talk about his beginning. So the setting is in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had ruled in Israel for 50 years. And he had brought a measure of stability to Israel. Economically, things were good there in Judah, the people of Israel in Judah. Uh, Jerusalem was established. When the king dies, you know you got trouble. So in the year that Uzziah dies, Isaiah says that's when it happened. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. We know his vision, high and lifted up. 
The train of his robe filled the temple. So you have there a picture of the sovereignty, the bigness of God. Above him, the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face because God is too holy to look upon. With two, he covered his feet because it would not be right to show the foulness of your feet before God. With two, he flew. And one called to another, the, these angelic beings, they're saying what the, is said in heaven. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6 is the thrice holy, if you like the language. Thrice holy. When you see that, it's the extremely holy. It's what we find in Revelation. Isaiah gets a vision of God. He's called there. The song they're singing when Isaiah is called is the same song they're singing when John in Revelation looks into heaven. It's the same song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And Isaiah's vision says that the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice I'd love to do some more with the voice of God. The voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke because it would be wrong for Isaiah to actually see God. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now pause there. Remember, what's the year he's called? In the year what? King... In the year that the most stable king that Judah has had in 50 years, when every ounce of stability is gone, Isaiah says, that's when I see the king, the real king, the Lord of hosts. This is good for us to remember. We're going into an election cycle and people are going to lose their minds. I mean, I, it's, I mean, already I get more phone calls. I got people knocking on the door. They come to y'all's house. I get, I get all these political surveys. And uh, so now I got that Rottweiler. I just opened the door. Roman, go out there. No, I, I, there, I mean, it's really, I mean, business has really picked up with that sort of thing. And it's going to uh, more and more. And it's just a good reminder. When that's going on, we need to have the vision of Isaiah. And remember, it's the Lord. He's an intricate control. So then one of the seraphim flew to me, having on his, in his hand a burning coal. Here's the cleansing of his lips. He said, my lips are unclean, so it's going to be cleansed. Touched my mouth and said, behold, it's touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. There's some gospel in there. There's some gospel right there. Sin must be cleansed. The only way it is cleansed is through atonement. You might even press further and say, that atonement can be painful. It came from the altar. You could probably do a lot with that if you're going to preach it. I mean, I should preach through Isaiah. Look at the calling in verse 8. The calling is an unusual calling. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And maybe the most famous line, Isaiah spoke. And he said, Here I am, send me. So we use that for missionaries. It's a, great line, it's a great line to use for missionaries. It's ex exactly one-to-one. -one. I mean, who's going to go for us? Here I am, send me. Now, when you read what the assignment is, that's where we have to maybe not read it to the missionaries. Because the assignment is terrible. I mean, look at the assignment. You're going to go and preach. Nobody's going to listen to you. Let me read it. And he said, verse 9, 
Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, do not understand. Keep on seeing, do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, be healed. That's a terrible assignment. And so Isaiah says, well, how long should I do this, Lord? Verse 11. How long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie in waste without inhabitant. I mean, this is, this is going to be the destruction. You're preaching to the people who are going to be hauled off. Until the cities lie in waste without inhabitant, houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord takes all the people away. This is not church growth 101 right here. So now what you get? It's a bad message or a bad time to a people that are hurting. That's what Isaiah that's what Isaiah is called into. Let's go a little further in. <clears throat> I'll give you just a, maybe on one of the sheets of paper, I'd like to kind of break out the kings. There, there are five of them <clears throat> in, that Isaiah serves. Can you imagine, of, I mean, that long of a ministry? Isaiah begins, okay, we know that from Isaiah 6. He begins at Uzziah's death. So that's where he starts. And in the year, King Uzziah dies. So, Uzziah does die. He has a son. His son's name is Jotham. Jotham reigned in Judah for 16 years and sort of continued his father's program. They didn't do anything, good or bad. Jotham was not really known for anything. So Jotham had a son named Ahaz. Then Ahaz, the king, reigned 16 years. Ahaz was not a good king. He made several bad decisions. He became a vassal of Assyria. What that means is that the Assyrians came down and said, look, we're going to destroy you unless you pay us some money. They said, all right, we'll pay you. So they just pay him. You're a vassal. You do what they tell you. You pretty well belong to the Assyrians. Well, Ahaz had a son. His name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah is really a good king. It's the first one to have. Uh, Ahaz is not a great king. He has a son who's a good king. Doesn't seem right when bad parents get good kids. How does that happen? You, you wonder, how does, this, how does those people over there who are terrible people and their kid turns out great and you did all, I mean, you read the book, you could have wrote the book, did everything right, and yours is delinquent. There's, you got to not do that math in your head. So Ahaz, who wasn't a great guy, had a wonderful son. Hezekiah reigned 29 years. He is one of Judah's best kings. He, in fact, is king. If you go and read the historic section in Isaiah, chapter 36 and 37 has the story of Hezekiah. He's a great king. He uh, leads well, makes some pretty bad decisions as he gets older. So, you know, if the guys get too old, need to be out of office. Take that for what it's worth. So he was, could have been a good king. He uh, got old and made some bad decisions. Chapter 36 and 37, it tells the siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrians and Hezekiah praying, the Lord delivering. Hezekiah, who's one of the best kings that Israel's ever had, he has a son named Manasseh. Manasseh. He is one of the very worst kings. In fact, uh, he, he's so evil I mean, this is a king in Judah now, in Jerusalem. He's so evil that he would sacrifice his own child. Human sacrifice. Not somebody he didn't know, wasn't a prisoner from Assyria. 
his own blood. That's how evil Manasseh was. He, and what's remarkable, there's, I don't know what to do with it, but there's a story in 2 Chronicles. It's worth us looking at. 2 Chronicles chapter 33, Manasseh, who is the worst king there ever was, did this terrible thing, killed his own child. He actually is converted. You read Manasseh, we ought to all have T-shirts on that say Manasseh across the front. If God can save Manasseh, he can save anybody. Manasseh is a story that is disturbing. 2 Chronicles 33, let me just read you a little bit about Manasseh. You can follow along. I'll start in verse 5. He built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinoam. He used fortune telling and omens and sorcery. He dealt with mediums and necromancers. That's those that speak to the dead. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. The carved image of the idol that he had made, he set in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all of the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. So he does all these terrible things. So in verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people. They paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with chains and bronze, brought him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord, his God. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him. God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. That's a remarkable conversion story of someone that did just terrible things. That's who Isaiah is preaching to. Let's go through the themes. What are some of the themes? We'll maybe skip around in the book of Isaiah, do a little Bible drill in Isaiah. What I'd like to do is just point out a few themes I think you'll find in the book of Isaiah if you read it. Some theological themes that run through. Here's the first one. Number one, God himself is the theme. God does all things for his own glory. When you read Isaiah, it is telling us God does it. Even the destruction of Jerusalem and the wiping out of his people, taking them off to Babylonian captivity. God is the theme. He does all things. I would put it uh, in the margin, Isaiah 48, verse 11. It's when the Lord is speaking and God says, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God is the theme of Isaiah. The second thing. Mm -mm. Number two, uh, one of the themes that runs through it is that God's people, this is good for us here, this is for you. You are God's child if you're in Christ. God's people find strength only as they rest in the promises of their God. 
God's people, you, find strength only as you rest in the promises of God. I'll pull from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Mac, use a little bit of that. Let's pray today for a couple of things uh, this morning, having a time with the Lord, and uh, several issues that are pressing. Uh, so I'm, I'm lifting these to the Lord, asking God to intervene. There are people I'm praying for, asking God to intervene, to do something. And, uh, and, and the last part of the prayer is, now, Lord, help me to, to trust that you're going to do what you're going to do, to trust the answer. I don't usually have trouble with the request. I can make the request. My problem is trusting to be able to walk away and not be anxious about the situation. And, and part of what Isaiah teaches us is that we find strength when we rest in the promises of God. Let me give you a third one. Number three, God's people find refreshment. Refreshment only as they delight in His Word. I say it every Sunday. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Yeah, that's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. It's God's Word. Or another a good verse for that is Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. Let me read Isaiah 55. You can turn there too if you'd like. It's a beautiful... Uh, Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2, it's a good place to mark your Bible. This Bible right here I got just a year ago. This one. Uh, I, I'll tell you about that. I'm preaching in Oklahoma. Yeah. So, uh, and that's what they pay me with. I so said, what kind of Bible? You know, we want to give you a Bible for your trouble to come out and preach for us. Well, I'm doing that again next week. And First Baptist, Verdigris, Oklahoma. So, when I'm standing before you the following week, have a new Bible. <laughs> I already told him what I wanted. Did that. He's, he's had the Bible since October, so it's been there waiting on me in Oklahoma. So I'm finally going to go and get it. All right, this is what, this is what Isaiah says. <clears throat> come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. But isn't that good? And that's a, a reminder to us that God's people, this is where we find a refreshment. I mean, it's so, so little of what we can control about life once you sort of get out from, from the house, in, in my own experience. I can't control what's going to happen after I leave the house. I'm going into, I tell Connie all the time, I'm going out there to either slay dragons or try to stay away from the dragons. And just stuff, and your life's like that too. You can't control what's out there. What you can control is the, is the time in the morning where you have a few moments and you take in God's word and your soul is refreshed and strengthened for the day in front of you. And that, that's really what's going to give you ground to stand on when you face so much throughout the day. And it's probably a good idea to do some of that at night as well. All right, here's the fourth one. <clears throat> Number four. God is offended 
by religious practices that come from an empty heart. Isaiah chapter 1 is a great place for that. I've uh, seen on social media, I don't know if it was on Twitter or, or Facebook, a church that uh, I forgot to mention Sunday that it was Super Bowl Sunday. I just forgot. Uh, but a church on Sunday that had turned everything they did on Sunday to an absolute circus around the Super Bowl. And I, I, mean, I understand probably what they're doing is, is to attract people but my thought is, what does that do for the signals we send about the holiness of God, the seriousness of the moment, the need for salvation, the, the price that... I mean, I, get, I think you can get that from, from Isaiah chapter 1. I'll just start. You can read the whole thing. and It's really convicting, but it's a good place to pick up is in verse 10. I... Uh, was looking at the Song of Solomon, verse 1, uh, one verse 10. That is not the same as Isaiah. <laughs> I'd be offended in a different way if I read that one. <laughs> Only thing is these pages are so thin. All right, here we go. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. He's talking to, to Judah. He's called them Sodom. Y'all remember Sodom and Gomorrah? So you get called that on the front end, you know, you're going to have a bad day. It's not going well. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats, you come and appear before me. Who has, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my face from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring injustice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Let me pause there and just, just make the point that, that God is offended by religious practices that come from an empty heart. That's one side of a coin. The other side is... God is pleased with religious practices that come from a heart that's given to Him. That the, the outpouring of, of worship, the singing with, with the heart that is filled with love for Christ. And I guess you could just say it comes down to sincerity, doesn't it? It comes down to, to really loving the Lord. Okay, number five. 
How many of these we got today? Let's see. Do y'all see how many we got? Do y'all have the whole thing? Y'all have 14? Okay, I got a little carried away. I apologize. We'll try to get to them. Number five. You just start seeing things and think this would be worth pointing out. This is there. Okay, number five. God's people, one of the things you learn here, God's people will someday become an eternal community of worshipers. One day, all of God's people in the new heavens and the new earth will become an eternal community of worshipers. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2, 3, and 4. Let me read it to you. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted up among the hills, and all the nations will flow to it. That's the new heavens and the new earth. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He might teach us His ways, that we might walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You, you can keep going there if you wanted to. God's people will one day become an eternal community of believers. Here's the fifth one, sixth one. God opposes human pride. God you run through Isaiah, what you find is God is on the other side of the prideful person. This is, <clears throat> this is why <clears throat> pride is such a dangerous thing because it makes God your enemy. See? <clears throat> he opposes human pride. Isaiah 13, 11. <clears throat> 13, 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant. I will lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. It's a good thing to remember. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you're offended, a lot of times when we are offended, we are offended because we feel like we have, someone has transgressed a right, cut us off. Uh, and that oftentimes comes from pride. We think, I deserve better. And you got to be careful about what you do with that. But the fighting, fighting, fighting against pride is going to help all of us in every relationship, especially Christian relationships and marriage. One of the ways to fight pride is to list things to be thankful for. So just start being thankful. <clears throat> I read a book uh, today and yesterday. It's a really small book. Uh, Nate Picklewitz, he's a, he's a pastor up in New, New England. And uh, it's, it talks about the kindness of God. And one of the chapters, um, he just says, you ought to think about all the things that you take for granted by way of provision. And list out the 10,000 things that God has given you in his kindness that you have right now. And that, that's going to help with humility. It's going to help with pride. Uh, so, so being thankful and then serving someone. Finding a place to serve will keep you from being prideful. Okay, God is opposed to the human pride. Number seven. <clears throat> the foolish idols that man creates are destined for destruction. 
I'll read in chapter 2 again. Isaiah is, is uh, preaching against the idols and the foolish idols that man creates, and we all have them. We create them. They are going to burn. Verse 20. <clears throat> in that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they have made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of rocks and the clefts of the cliffs, from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty when He rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose, in whose nostrils is breath, for what account is he? You know, that made me think about the fear, uh, the fear of God or the fear of man. I forgot the name of the book. There was a book that came out several years ago that walked through the fear of God and the fear of man, and he said something uh, that, that men stayed with me, that we fear people more than we fear God because we would say, well, I, I'll confess that to God alone. I'll confess that. Don't, I'll only tell God about that. I wouldn't tell another person. Why wouldn't you tell another person? Because I'm more afraid of what they would think than what God thinks. And that said with me, I had to roll that around a little bit. Is that, I was trying to, is that true? I mean, is that why? And partly it is. I don't actually fear the, the, the wrath and fire and holiness of God. And it's good for us to remember that, that our God is a consuming fire. We should fear Him more than, than people. Number eight. <clears throat> Isaiah is about God's judgment that will reduce... I'm sorry this is so long. God's judgment that will reduce Israel to a remnant. For this remnant, from this remnant, he will raise up a holy people. So God's judgment on Israel, his people, he's going to reduce down to a remnant. You've seen it happen when the Assyrians and the Babylonians are taking them off. From that remnant, God will bring out a people. A good place to see that is, I'll just read one verse. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. <clears throat> If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. So you see the cycle. God calls his people out of Egypt. They wander. They cross the Jordan. After being in the land, they settle. They want a king. Saul's not any good. David rises as the model king. Christ will be. He'll become a type of the one coming. Even his kingdom's not great. His son Solomon is provisioned well. His name means peace. He rules, builds. People are astounded. He goes off course completely. All the women turn his heart away from God. And then from Solomon, goes all the way down. Just splits and ends up in a remnant of people. And out of that, God brings his people. That's us. He brings Christ. Paul preaches when it's the Gentiles, and that's us, that's us. Okay, number nine. <clears throat> God sometimes judges people by making them deaf and blind to his word. That's all. I had to really think that through, but it's a theme that runs. You know, I read it in, in, in chapter Isaiah chapter 6, and it's called, you're going to preach, and people are not going to hear it. And, and there is a certain judgment that is on disobedience that he sometimes strikes people 
so they don't see it or hear it. I mean, isn't that what we, when we pray for lost people, we're praying that their ears will be unstopped because stopped ears is a judgment from God. Uh, I get that from Isaiah chapter 29. Let me show that to you. <clears throat> Isaiah 29, beginning of verse 9. <clears throat> astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves, be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep. He's closed your eyes. The prophets, he's covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I, I cannot because it's sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. And then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder and the wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. So you read all of that, and, and part of people not hearing, God sometimes, not always, but sometimes He judges people by making them deaf and blind to His saving Word. You wonder why someone is not being saved? They're under. It's under condemnation. Okay, you get the point. Number 10. <clears throat> Let's get to all the good stuff. I'll finish off. I think it was the good stuff. Number 10. The only hope for the world is one Man, the only hope. Isaiah's preaching, when you read it, the, the central theme of Isaiah when it comes to the Messiah is the only hope for the world is one man. I'll just go through who he is. A, he is the promised Davidic king. You can find that all over Isaiah. I'll give you just a couple. Isaiah chapter 7. They're pretty close. So let's use those. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son. She shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. We know that one from Christmas. Chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness, this is all Christmas. This is the coming of Christ. The people who walked in darkness, they've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. As with joy of the harvest, they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. 
So the, the, the only hope for the world is one man. He's the promised king. Let me tell you what else he is. Uh, it's in Isaiah 53. He's also the suffering servant and the saving substitute. Let's put those together. Isn't that something that, that the, the, the vision of Isaiah of Jesus, they would not understand. We understand the messianic part that he's a king, but how would they know? It doesn't make sense that this king would also be the suffering servant. So oftentimes Jewish scholars think, well, they're talking about two. And we would say, no, in Christ it's, it's one. Isaiah 53 is maybe, maybe the clearest uh, doctrine of substitutionary atonement in the Old Testament. Maybe the clearest. That it points to Jesus, Christians from the very beginning, including the New Testament Christians, have always seen this pointing to Christ. Substitutionary atonement in Isaiah 53. I'll take it to verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. Isn't it amazing? How can, I mean, 700 years before the coming of Christ. It's unbelievable to me. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Okay, so here comes the substitutionary atonement. You've heard the phrase, great exchange. See Christ taking yours, and you getting his. Surely, he has borne, see the exchange? He has borne our griefs, he carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Here's the exchange. He was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, uh-oh, exchange, and we get peace. He gets the wounds. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. It's the exchange. It's the clearest picture of it in the entire Old Testament, in my opinion. Okay, so he's the promised Davidic king. He is the suffering servant and saving substitute. Here's a third thing you find uh, under number 10. He's, an, he's the anointed preacher of the gospel. It's Isaiah 61. The anointed preacher of the gospel. Isaiah 61, verses 1, 2, and 3. Isn't this what, when Jesus picked it up in the, in the synagogue? This is what he said? This is what he read from? And he said, this, I'm talking about myself? <clears throat> Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus is not only the saving one, the promised king, he's also the preacher, the proclaimer of the gospel. I mean, he's a teacher that taught. And wherever he went, the teaching was pointing to the gospel that he would fulfill in Jerusalem. I'm working on uh, Mark chapter 10 right now. And uh, they're going toward Jerusalem, and he's going to teach. And it's a long lesson. It's convoluted. I'm trying to, to talk about, okay, something that happens. 
and then the lesson, but the lesson is always, always points back to the cross. Jesus taking us there. Okay, he is the anointed preacher of the gospel. He is the victor over all evil. Isaiah 63, in so good. Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. And you, I mean, you can just read if you'd like. Uh, let me just read it. I'll just read it. <clears throat> Who is this that comes from Edom in crimson garments from Bozrah? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger. I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. The year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation. My wrath upheld me. I trampled down the people in my anger. I made them drunk with my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. That's a terrible, vivid scene of the victorious Christ bringing judgment on those who wouldn't see. And, and that judge, even that judgment, which is, man, it's hard to conceive, even the judgment of the evildoers, God uses that to glorify himself. So he is the victor over all evil. That's one through ten. Let's finish up with just a few. Number 11. God uses everything, even someone's sin, for his own glory. This is hard to conceive as well. God uses everything, even if somebody else has sinned, out of that, they sinned against you, let's say. He uses that for his own glory. We can't do that. I mean, the... Case in point would be Cyrus in the Old Testament. Uh, let me take you there. Isaiah 44. Isaiah, let me show this to you. Isaiah 44. Man, I told Rick I'd be done at 7.15. Almost there. Y'all going to make it another few minutes? Okay, all right. How many have children to pick up? Anybody have children to pick up? You got some kids? Okay. Okay, I'll have you there. Isaiah 44. Verse 24 is where I'd like to just take you. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars, makes fools of diviners, who returns wise men back, makes them know their own foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, the cities of Judah, they shall be built. Who says to the deep, be dry? 
I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus? Remember, Cyrus is an evil king from a different... Okay, who says of Cyrus, he's my shepherd. He shall fulfill, as an evil man, he shall fulfill all of my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. I mean, even like in, in the editorial comment right here in Isaiah chapter 44, 45, even the editors have to put in Cyrus, God's instrument. But he's not a believer. I mean, he's not a, an Israelite, not a Christian. Okay, so you get the point. All right, number 12. <clears throat> all people, all people are called to repent of sin and trust in God alone. All people. So if you watch the Super Bowl, which I didn't, but I saw all of the stuff, I saw everything, and you saw the He Gets Us commercials. Uh, in my estimation, that is not a good representation of the biblical Jesus. I understand what they're doing, and they're calling it a, you can probably find them online, the He Gets Us commercials. Their intent is pre-evangelism to get people talking about Jesus. And I, I, I just think you've seen the wrong idea. I think, the, uh, I think it, you're much better served to go ahead and when you're talking about evangelism, it's, you don't have to be ugly, but be very truthful. Amen. Be truthful. Jesus was always truthful with people. He always talked about, I mean, he loved them in great, great affection, but he always told the truth. And it's good for us to, to, to press toward uh, knowing that all people are called to repent of sin and to trust in Christ alone. Where do I get that? Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. To not be afraid to press and say, our issue is sin and the holiness of God the solution is the gospel of Jesus who lived perfectly and died for us. And everybody is called to turn, to repent. Number 12, number 13. God is guiding all of human history. All of it. God is guiding all of human history. It's going somewhere. Isaiah chapter, I'll just use one passage. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, we're there at 44. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, 7, and 8. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let Him proclaim it. Let Him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not or be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses." Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. And the point of Isaiah and God speaking here is you're going into exile. It is terrible. It's not the end. God is guiding all of history. That's why I start today with God's promises in the Bible. And in the evening, I normally am reading some sort of history. I'm reading about the Texas Rangers right now. Some sort of history because you see God's providence. You look back at history, you see God, this is how he did it. Look, in the Bible, you see, here are his promises. 
that's how I bookend the day because God is actually taking human history somewhere. There's a consummation coming. One more. Last one. <clears throat> this is not exactly a high note, but I'm going to end here. Number 14. The wrath of God. The wrath of God is to be feared above all else. I'll uh, use Isaiah chapter... Well, let's end the book. Isaiah 66. Last, last little bit. Isaiah 66. I'll call your attention to verse 15 and 16. For behold, the Lord will come in fire. The Lord will come in fire. And His chariots like the whirlwind to render His anger in fury, His rebuke with the flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment by His sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. And so we set that in front of our eyes and we see the wrath of God. And it should cause us to tremble and be so thankful for what Christ has done for you. The forgiveness of Christ, the grace of Christ, the saving power of the gospel, the joy of being in Christ and being loved by God, and held up by God and provided for by God when we see the wrath of God. The wrath of God is to be feared above all else, points us to the great grace found in Jesus. Okay, the book of Isaiah, from about 100,000 feet flying over and saying some really good things in there. I hope that you found some comfort in that. I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed. Hey, you guys remember to pray for me. Uh, I'll be flying out Monday afternoon. I'll preach Monday night in, in Oklahoma, Verdigris, Oklahoma. Come back and I have a meeting in Nashville Wednesday. I'll be back Wednesday Wednesday night. So you pray that the Lord will be honored when I preach, that God will use that. And then the following week, we have a North Carolina State Convention has a discipleship, uh, I don't know if you call it a program or anyway, uh, it'll be here, a conference at our church. About a thousand people from around the state, they've asked me to, to preach at it. So just pray that uh, I don't embarrass us at the State Convention. Everybody goes, Lord, what is that preacher doing? All right, let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your word that strengthens, that, that sobers us, that gives us confidence. God, we thank you that we can see so many hundreds of years ago, you wrote it down for us to show us your goodness. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for Christ who saves and sustains us. We pray you draw us close. God, we pray that you wake us up tomorrow morning in enough time to spend time with you. Use us for the glory of Jesus during the day. Protect our families. Bring us back here Sunday, ready to lift up the name of Jesus and to worship. We thank you for it. Go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.